is. If you would, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Now where I'm going with this, you might think, well, this I know where he's going with this when we read the verses, but uh, hear me out. Uh, it's all connected together with these just three verses. Not as many verses as this morning, uh, but just a few. But as we look at these... Philippians chapter 4, if we'll begin there, we'll actually begin at verse 10, if you would. Paul speaking here to the Philippian church, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to, be, to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you for your strength tonight, as it's mentioned there, and Paul knew exactly what that strength was. Lord, we all can know that. We pray that, Lord, you help us to see the precious truths in your word. Lord, not only to see them and hear them, but Lord, to apply them to our very lives. We ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, when we think about it, there are some things that we enjoy, uh, especially when I think about myself. I don't try to use too many personal illustrations, but when I'm thinking about things that I enjoy, I'm thinking about food. I'm thinking about restaurants. I'm thinking about my favorite things to eat, and uh, I enjoy those things, and uh, certainly that is always, I, I have my favorites and uh, my favorite things at those restaurants. And there's things that we enjoy. But equally so, there's some things that we plan for or the things that we don't enjoy. That is, uh, some things that, you know, we just don't like doing. And I will not mention those things. You know what they are for yourself. I do too. There's things that we get to look forward to in life. Uh, things we plan for and, and they're a blessing when we get to do them. And we enjoy those things. And sometimes we are looking forward to those things and we don't get to do them because the plans change. And that's just the way life is. That's reality. It happens. We've all experienced it. The ups and downs to our lives. And we think, you know, how, how, do, we, how do we equal this out? How do we balance it? But we know we live in a sin-cursed world. So there's going to be downs as well as ups. There's going to be... Uh, enjoyments as well as disappointments and we realize that we understand that we aren't promised by God that there will never be any letdowns there will never be any disappointments there will never be any trials you're not going to find that in his word in fact well, as a Christian yea all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution we'll suffer some way or somehow especially if we live the life that God wants us to live, that God commands us to live, that God desires us to live. But we see something here. When things don't go our way, when they don't plan or not plan the way we wanted to plan, when we wake up and think we've got our plans worked out, Brother Lauderdale mentioned this morning, Paul had plans where he wanted to go. And some of those plans were not the Lord's plans. They were Paul's plans. He thought they were the Lord's plans, but the Lord showed him otherwise. And so the Lord got him where he wanted him to go. And sometimes those plans don't work out. But So when those things happen, then what? 
if it didn't turn out our way, I said we, we, we're voting on something. And just like this past week, Ohio voted on issue one. And the vote was to be yes, because if we don't vote yes, then we're going to give the power to the state to decide whether or not what we can do. Of course, the opponents to that were saying, you know, hey, uh, you should vote no, and they give all their reasons. Well, it, it didn't pass. Well, this means that possibly they can change the laws or change everything concerning abortion. That's a big thing for us. Um, you know, you know, it didn't pass. Now what? Am I might get bummed out about it and I'd be disappointed. I realize this. You know, when the election didn't turn out the way it did four years ago, when this issue didn't pass, when things don't go the way I think they should go, or I foresaw them to be, or planned them to be, you know what? God is still God. He is still on his glorious throne, and everything and all aspects of life are still under his control. You know, Isaiah 57, 15 tells us this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In all, in all of that, we can look at this. God, God's not, God doesn't just exist in eternity. God is eternity. Time is in him. So everything under his control, we say, well, why, why do things turn out the way they do? Why don't they, I mean, it should be this way. I mean, what were the Israelites thinking when they were being judged by Nebuchadnezzar, the southern kingdom, when they went through that 70 years of captivity? God was still on his throne. So we think about all these things. When I go through these things, when I, when, when I don't understand sometimes, and God doesn't necessarily give me an explanation of everything he's doing. God doesn't try to, he doesn't ask us to figure him out. Matter of fact, his ways are past finding out, the Bible tells us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Everything about him. God just simply says, just trust me. That's all you need to do is trust me. You don't need to do anything else. So with all that, when he thinks that we know or we should know, what is our proper response to things when we have such a, if you will, a roller coaster type up and down life? Things are enjoyable, but things sometimes aren't enjoyable. What, what's the answer? Well, I believe Paul has the secret to the Christian faith found here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who guided him and directed him to it. God reveals it here in, our, in his eternal word, and it's found in verse 11. Therewith to be content. Therewith to be content. Contentment. Contentment. There's a lot of things we can find out real quickly, but I need to ask myself, you need to ask yourself this. Am I a content Christian? Let's make it even more specific. Am I a content Christian right now? What does the world see in me when I go to work? When I go out to shop at Walmart or any other place? Or whatever I do, living my life. What do they see outside the church walls? Of course we're going to be content in here. This is church. This is where we're supposed to be content at. We're meeting with God. We're with God's people in his house. But what are we outside those walls? What are we truly like? Our family members could tell us. Don't ask Melissa what I'm like. But you know, 
Are we content? Paul was. Understand something. Paul's not boasting about his contentment. He just happened to learn what it is all about. He was a unique person. Went through a lot of things, but through all those things that he suffered, through all those things he went through, many people were one to Christ. That's what he was used for. He was a vessel. The Lord said he was going to use him as a vessel. And he was going to suffer many things for his name's sake. And he did. But Paul learned this secret, I would say. Not so much a secret. It's right there in God's word. But it's something we overlook at times. Something we forget at times. Because when things aren't going the way we planned, well, it's hard to be content. But yet, it's right there. He says in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul says it doesn't matter. He goes on to say, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. So to be content, we see first of all, as Paul is speaking about this in this passage, the individuality of contentment. Verse 11 again, Not that I speak with respect to want, for I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. There is individuality, there's there's an individual thing or aspect to contentment. What do I mean by that? That is, every one of us, though we're different in our makeup, though we're different in how we respond and what we do, we're all different. We're not made the same. That is, we're individuals that God has saved us. We have received Christ as our Savior, so we're all individually in our own way, responds to the ups and downs that we have that come forth in our life. And that says a lot about us. It says about where we're at with Christ, where we're growing. And yes, we fail. Yes, we sin. And yes, we confess those sins, for he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's all those things. Yes, the Apostle Paul was unique. But think about it. Aren't we all unique? There's not one of us had the same fingerprints. We're all different in our facial. Although many of us seem like to be the carbon copy of our parents or someone else. And that may be true, but we're still different. We're different in our personalities, different in our situations, different in our plots, where God has us. You name it, we're all different. But one thing that's great about this, that Paul, I think, is stressing here about the, about the meaning of contentment, is simply this. We all, although we're different... In Christ, we share the same Holy Spirit. He lives in all of us. We're gathered here together, and where two or three are gathered in my name, the Lord says, there I'll be in the midst of them. So we're all sharing the same Holy Spirit. If you know Christ is your Savior, contentment comes from the same Christ that all of us have received by faith. And that's a wonderful thing because, you know, contentment's not something that, that will come because I will it to come or that I make it happen. It's because of Christ. Verse 13 is very clear about that. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And we'll talk about that in a moment. You know what contentment starts off being as an individual? When I'm saved, when I'm born again, when I trust Christ as my Savior, God begins to work in me. He begins to work in us, in you. Both the will and do of his good pleasure. That's what I just told him just previously in chapter 2, verse 13. Same letter. But he's telling him, hey, God's working something in you. He told Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What's God trying to work in us? Godliness, Christ-likeness, 
conforming us to the image of God's dear Son. See, that is for every individual. I don't have it just for myself, and then I try to work it out for somebody else. No, God's working it out of me to be more Christ-like to others, be Christ-like to the world, be Christ-like to my brothers and sisters in Christ, be Christ-like to my church family, you name it, to whoever I'm supposed to be. God wants people to see his son in me, and God wants to see his son in you, and other people see that as well. Contentment. Not only individuality, but we see something else that Paul stresses here. And that's the word instruction. Instruction. Look at verse 11. Again, he says, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Instruction. School. Well, that kind of seems to be a dirty word to kids now because it's very soon going to happen again my daughter's already started teaching at her new place school started but think about contentment contentment is not something that comes natural for you and i we're not born with it it's something that has to be learned something that's instructed to us paul learned it because it was revealed to him by the holy spirit as he worked it out in his own life Yes, Paul was a Christian too, not only a great apostle but, and a great missionary, but he was a Christian as well. Contentment is not natural for you and I either. You know what's natural for us? Complaining, frustration, self-pity, all that is. I could go on and on if you want me to, but I'm not going to because it sounds too much like me. But it's true. This is why we need to learn contentment. Connect those two words, learned and instruction. Learned and instruction. Because it's very plain. It's something we have to go through. Something we go through the school, if you want to say, of hard knocks. But it's not necessarily hard knocks. It's a school. It's a refining process. You're talking, your studies on Sunday night is about Job. Job knew what he was being refined to be. To, to go through God was refining him getting off all the stuff that doesn't need to be there all the stuff that doesn't need to be in our lives crowding out the things that don't need to be there and crowding them with Christ in our hearts and our lives notice the other key word we find Paul says I both know I know both how to be a base see it wasn't the why that Paul was searching for the why was obvious. Why do I need to be content? Well, to be like Christ. It's how. How do I get to that point? Paul said, I've learned it. Now, understand something where Paul was at at this moment. This is one of the pastoral epistles. Uh, I'm sorry, not one of the pastoral, but one of the prison epistles. He was in prison writing this letter. And he could write and say, I'm content. I'm content right here where the Lord has me. I'm content knowing that this is God's will for my life to be in prison because I was preaching the gospel and that was contrary to sinners. But you know why? He knew that was his will. There was a jailer that was going to come, come to faith in Christ through all this. And his family. So it was God's will. He was content knowing that. Wherever God had him, it didn't matter. He said, I, I both know how to be abased I know how to abound everywhere 
And in all things, I am instructed, he says, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. He says it doesn't matter. I know as I was reading some on this, some commentary, boy, some of these uh, older guys got into the riches and the, and, and, and the wealth and all of that and how as, as Christians, God doesn't bless us with a lot of wealth a lot of times, not all of us, because we don't know how to handle it. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of application in this in our own daily lives. What happens when I'm sitting, when I'm traveling down the road, and I'm far away from home, and all of a sudden my tire blows out, and I've got a flat tire? What then? Oh, I'm supposed to be content, right? Not easy to do in my flesh, right? And it's not easy to do in your flesh either. But I can be content. You know what, knowing it's part of God's will, part of God's plan. So how is a flat tire part of that? Don't you think God knows where we're at? Don't you think God sees everything we're doing? You know, Isaiah 49, 16 reminds us of that. Behold, I have engraven thee on the palms of my hand. Thy walls are continually before me. You you don't think God knows right where we're at, what we're going through? God's not being unmerciful. God's merciful. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth all generations. The Lord is good, it says in Psalm 100, verse 5. He is. Not just because they say it on a movie, the Lord is good all the time, all the time, the Lord is good. No, the Lord is good because the Bible tells us that. I don't get my theology from a movie or from a song. From anywhere. I get it from the, from the Bible. He's good all the time. Turn with me, if you would. I want you to see some things. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians 11. You probably are familiar with this passage. Paul gives us a list of what he's been through. I guess if you want to call this the abasement part of his life, suffering need. Verse 23, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundantly, and more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of, ro- of robbers, in perils of, by my own countrymen, in perils by a heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that, were, that, are, that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. In verse twelve, in chapter twelve, he he realizes that God didn't take away his his thorn in the flesh. He was weak, and he said, "God says my my strength is perfected in your weakness." And he says, "I will glory in my infirmities, in my afflictions. I will glory. I'll I'll be content in those things. Why? Because God has allotted it." allowed it for my life and whatever he wants is perfect you know that's what psalm 1830 says as for god his way is perfect 
So whenever we get start feeling sorry for ourselves, whenever we think we're just overwhelmed with the trials and testings, with tribulations, and we must understand that we need to be content, that we should be content in God, remember that His way is perfect. I had to learn that. But God taught me that lesson. He'll teach us all that lesson if we want to. Turning back to Philippians chapter 4. So we have individuality, we have instruction, but we see another thing also, and that's inclusion. Our last thing, inclusion. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Here's the amazing thing, because you and I have received Christ by faith, we are in Christ. We're included in the family of God. All these things we understand and know because we're in Christ. And contentment is a part of our life. Now, a lot of people like to take this verse. A lot of people use it for the life verse. That's a wonderful thing. It's a great verse. But when you put it in context here, it's connected with verse 11. Paul says the reason why I can be content because it is Christ and only Christ. Turn with me over to John chapter 15. Hold your place. Let's turn over to John chapter 15. I want to see some things. I think it really connects with what he says here in verse 13. Philippians chapter 4. John chapter 15. John 15, beginning there, verse 1. The Bible says, Christ is saying, speaking to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruits. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. We find quite often there in this passage the words in me. See, the true child of God is in Christ. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are in Christ. We are in him. But the thing about it is we must realize that we must abide in him. We cannot go on our own strength. Why? Because we can only do all things through Christ who strengthens us, which strengthens us. We are in Christ. Our strength comes from him as long as we abide in him. You know, we, there's, this, there's, there's this topic or actually these words that are very closely connected but yet so separated. Joy and happiness. So what's the difference? Aren't they the same? No, they're not. Why do I, what do you mean by that? Although we see those things in the Bible quite often, we see gladness, happiness, joy. 
But happiness really is, is dealt with on, on the circumstantial basis. Whereas joy is completely comes from Christ. Notice what it says there in verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. So it comes from Christ. So what we see here, we have something we can't control. That's our external circumstances. Things that, that uh, well, we might have planned it didn't work out our way. It's things that, that, that happened we weren't planning on that day. We didn't have no plan, but it, like a flat tire or maybe uh, whatever it may be. We can't control those. So our happiness wanes, varies on that a lot of times. For some people, it's just what the weather is going to be like. Today's been a beautiful day, so they're happy. If it was a cloudy, rainy, stormy day, they would be sad. That's the way people are. It's circumstances. It's based upon circumstances. But here's the thing. Christ's joy is deep-seated. It's rooted. It's founded in him. He gives it to us. What do we realize? It's, it, he doesn't change. Christ being God, the Son of God, he's immutable, unchangeable. Therefore, when I think about those things that are in my control, it would be joy. Now, why do I say that? Because he says here in verse 11 that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He's not saying you lose the joy, but you sure can have it distracted from you by the enemy. You don't think, do you think the devil really wants us to be joyful Christians? No. Because he knows there's power in that. Because there's Christ likeness in that. There's strength in that. And if that comes, if that flows through, through who we are and people see that when we're out in the world, not just with our brothers, hey, that's encouraging brothers and sisters of Christ. You know, uh, Brother Joey was speaking about that this morning, about gathering together. It means a lot to be together with one another. You know why that is? Because we're a church family, not only with church people and congregation, but we're a church family. Things happen to us, well, it happens to all of us, not just one of us. There's a death, there's a, there's a loss of a loved one, it affects all of us. It may not affect it the same way it's affecting the immediate family, but it helps us to pray for them, because we know they need strength, they need comfort. And on and on we can go, but here's the thing, my joy is controlled by what I choose it to be. Because it's given to me. It doesn't change for Christ. Christ gives it. But I choose whether or not I want to keep it. Whether I want to have it. You say, well, you know, Christians aren't supposed to ever get depressed. Well, they do. That's a reality. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, had a nervous breakdown. You say, well, how do you know that? I've read his life story. I've read his autobiography. He did. It's amazing because he had an incident happen in his life. While he was, well, the Lord was taking him through and he was growing great things and doing great things for the Lord. People were coming by thousands to hear him at his church in England. And he was outgrowing his small little church. So they had to rebuild and construct it to at least where it would hold 5,000 people on a regular basis. Well, you know what? How many people were seeing him on a regular basis? 10,000. And it would have been more. They had to turn people away. Very unique. But when they first rented out this big Surrey Hall Gardens, they rented it out one night for an evening service, and it held 10,000 people. Well, guess what? It was packed, and there were still people waiting outside to come in. 
God was using a man. He wasn't, wasn't trying to be popular. God was using a man because the man spoke about Christ so much. But what happened that night when they met there at that service? Someone yelled, fire. About seven people were trampled to death because of it. Charles Spurgeon never got over that. It broke his heart. And as they were traveling, he, he would travel over to France. There was, there was this little getaway, his respite he would go to, the getaway at times. And he was traveling and on his way back, crossing over the mountains. He stopped, and his wife records a story and says that he just broke down and started crying. And she says, we were there a long time. He lived a depressed life at times. Not because he didn't believe he had a great God. Oh, he preached the great God. But it happens. Why? Because the enemy wants to do everything he can to steal, not to steal, but to distract us from what we know we should have in Christ, and that's that joy. And it can happen to any of us if we forfeit it. Turn back to Philippians chapter 4, if you would. Individuality, instruction, inclusion. Think about that. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're included. Christ is our hope. (laughs) He's the one who gives us hope. Christ is the one who's pardoned us from our sins. Christ is our all in all. Christ is one we know when we read about Romans 5.1. We are justified by faith. Why? Because we know now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our strength. He's our security. He's our all in all. J. Oswald Sanders says this about Christ in a book of his. Most men are notable for one conspicuous virtue or grace. Moses was known for his meekness. Job for his patience. John for his love. But in Jesus you find everything. How true that is. Well, he says here, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. The context, of course, ties right in with verse 11. Therewith to be content. No matter where I am at in this life, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what God's putting me through or whatever I'm going through or allowing to go through, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And because I know that, I can be content in knowing that this is what God has for me. You can be content when you walk out the doors, no matter what you're facing at this moment, no matter what you're going through. And sometimes we don't know what all of us are going through. You want to know why? Because we, we just don't broadcast it. And that's okay. Oh, you shouldn't keep it in. You should tell others about it. Well, you know what? It's okay to pray for one another. But if you want to keep it in, it's fine. It's between you and the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. God knows. But know this, be content. Be content that God's put you there and what you're dealing with, and that God will get you through it. The Lord will get you through it. Why? Because through Christ we can do all things. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I don't need to have all the money in the world. Be content. You know, that's fine with me. But I have the joy of Christ. And because of that, I can abound. I know when to abound. You know, sometimes we are blessed. We say that so often. It becomes such a catchphrase. It's a catchphrase, eh? And that the world even uses, I'm blessed. They don't know what it means. 
We have to be careful how we use it as Christians and we don't take it from what they've get, what we've given them. Just don't say you're blessed when things are going good in your life. Hey, it's easy to be up on the mountaintop, isn't it? You know why? Because things are going good, but when I get down to the valley, when things aren't going so good, then, boy, I'm not shouting his praises too much. But you know what? I'm supposed to shout his praises here and there. It doesn't matter any time. Don't let Thanksgiving be the only time you give the Lord praise and Thanksgiving. Let it be every day of your life. Why? Because we're supposed to be content. They're what to be content. You say, well, you just don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't. God does. But you know what? Paul went through something greater than we did. We're never going to suffer like he did. And there's probably some things in our lives that he would never go through. But let me tell you something. That was a long list. He suffered greatly. But he was content. That's a secret. That's something I need to learn. That's something I'm learning. You say, well, are you there yet? No, I'm not. It's a process. Let me tell you something. You're never going to get the product unless you go through the process. The product is at the end. The process is going through it. That's in anything in life, but especially in the Christian life, our Christian journey. As we walk, as the Lord has us living here, we say, well, I don't know why he still has me here. Yes, you do. He's, he's, he's molding and shaping you. He's making you more like his son. There's still work for you to do here for him, to serve him. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Yes, that's why he has me here. And my journey here is just as important. Yes, I know my destination. I know where I'm going. I'm looking forward to that. But my journey here is just as important. He's taking me through things. Why? So more people can come. You know, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. I want to see more people saved. I'm a part of that. You're a part of that. You know, I think it's easier for us to be in the valley than to be on the mountaintop. You want to know why I say that? Because we're in the valley that draws us to God more often than being on the mountaintop. You know what causes us to, what it causes us to do on the mountaintop? To forget God. That's true. So whatever state we're in, wherever the Lord has us, and everywhere in all things, we can be content. Why? Because it's not us that's getting us through our problems. It's not us that's getting us through on these things, that, that, that these trials and tribulations that are tough on us. It's Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I'm glad I'm included in the family of God. I'm glad I received Christ as my Savior that day, February 5th, 1996. I'm glad he didn't throw me away and said, I'm done with you. I'm glad his love is everlasting. I'm glad everything about God is good and merciful. I'm I'm so glad God's long-suffering. And you are too. How can we show a lost and dying world that we're different? Learn the secret of contentment. Learn the secret of contentment. May God show me that. May God show us that. We may not get there. Paul, Paul had learned it. <laughs> Remember, we probably have never been in, I hope you've never been in a jail cell, but if you have, Paul was there for, for not because he committed a crime, but because he was given the gospel. But he was content. He was content in everything. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if he was hungry or if he was full, whether he was rich or poor. 
God knew right where he was at, and that was all that he needed to know. Shall we bow our heads together for prayer?